What is good, streaming people? Welcome to Canell and Bell. I'm Tommy Tran. As you may have noticed, no Danny Canell or Roger Bell, both guys on a well-deserved uh, time off and rest there, especially after a busy NBA offseason last week. All the trades and free agent signings and stuff, so the guys will be back soon. But uh, I'm not going to be the only one here navigating the 90 minutes or 60 or so here on Canell and Bell. Going to have a lot of guests, including Jamie Eisenberg. Uh, we got to read Forgrave and Kyle Porter, so we'll have you covered in all things Summer League and the Open Championship, as well as all your fantasy stuff and NFL news. But I do want to start with something, and I'm sure you watched uh, with millions of people and that would be the men's single final between Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. The thing was like five hours long, just a shade under five hours, a five-set match. It was absolutely fantastic. I had all these plans to, to go out and do other things, and then like most of us started watching, a lot of people started picking it up in the third, fourth set, and the Joker gets the best of our fed at the All England Club. A lot to unpack here, right? You're talking about Roger Federer and his all-time leading 20 Grand Slam titles had a chance to extend that to 21. Now Djokovic, with his victory, has 16, including five Wimbledon titles, back-to-back championships there out in England. And it was crazy because I put this out on a Twitter poll and I said, how many people are rooting for Team Djokovic and how many people are rooting for Team Feder? And I thought I'd be in the minority because I'm, I'm Team Djokovic. And, and sure enough, it was about... 8-2 to two in terms of the Djokovic thing. So if you watch the match you had, it was interesting because Djokovic beat Federer first half, uh, first set tiebreaker that is, and it was 7-6, then Federer comes and beats him 6-1, and then Djokovic comes back again 7-6, and so throughout this match it just seemed like Federer had easier points and easier games, and and when he his serve was certainly on, and Djokovic talked about how good Roger Federer's serve was, it just seemed like points were a little bit easier. And and fourth and fifth set especially, it just seemed like the crowd was all about Roger. Every time he won a point, they were cheering for him, and I was already kind of again cheering for Novak Djokovic. So every time he you know got it out of point, I was rooting for him. Then you get to this whole thing about the fifth set. So you have this thing where Djokovic saves two championship points. He's like the first guy in like seven decades to have saved championship points and then gone on to win a Wimbledon championship. And then you get to the fifth set tiebreaker, all tied at 12. Now, why was this tiebreaker implemented? Because last year with John Isner and Kevin Anderson, they played like 26 to 24. The match was played over multiple days. They had to take a break. They did not want that there. It was funny because I actually tweeted and said, man, this is of all the years to implement this new rule, to have this tiebreaker be essentially decided in a penalty shootout, you know, to use a soccer and maybe some hockey terms there. I didn't like it at first, although after watching it, and not, and it's not just because Djokovic won, by the way, but I do like sort of the urgency that we saw because at some point you got to, you know, break the other guy. And then again, we saw Djokovic be able to do that again. So that was a really cool match. I know everyone talks about Federer and Nadal back in 2008. That was also a classic. You know, you try not to be a prisoner of the moment and how important that is, but um, it was one of the best tennis matches ever. And hopefully... Hopefully we'll be able to see, you know, some of these guys continue it. We have Federer still at 37, although he'll be 38 pretty soon here. Rafa's 33. Djokovic is 32. So you're talking about 20 with Arfed, 18 with Nadal, and now 16 with Novak Djokovic. So that's wrap things up there. A little bit of tennis. Everybody talking about that. Non-tennis fans joining in. That was the fun part there. 
on Twitter. All right, now let's uh, transition from basketball, uh, from tennis to basketball here and talk about some some summer league stuff and, and other things. We we welcome in Reed Forgrave, who was at uh, summer league out in Vegas. I think he's back home, comfortable now, Flea. Uh, you know, he's got a chance to rest. Reed, how you doing, my friend? I'm great. I'm not nearly as hot as it was in Vegas doing live hits outside in 115 degree heat. Yeah, I was like, man, but you and Colin Ward Hanniger. The funny thing was, like, I was like, man, you know, Reed and Colin are outside, and, and our guy Bill Ryder was nice, comfortably inside. I was like, we got to get you guys inside for some of our HQ. Man, that Ryder guy, that Ryder guy's a diva, man. I've told you guys for years, diva. <laughs> we love Bill. All right, so uh, let's talk and start first with, with Zion Williamson. Obviously, played only in the one game with the Knicks. It was a lot of buzz, and then kind of bumped his knee, and they, you know, they they shelved him. Although we probably you know, would have seen him only maybe one or two more games, right? And then there's these comments from Coach K about um, how his guy should have never really played because he said, you know, he's been on that ESPN circuit and he's out there. He's not really in good playing shape. What did you make of all that? Oh, the irony of Coach K saying you shouldn't play summer league when there was this all college season last year, there was this buzz about people saying he shouldn't have played college ball. I mean, Zion Williamson does what Zion Williamson wants. Uh, and the New Orleans Pelicans, if they want him to play summer league, and if he wants to go, he's going to do it. Uh, and I think absolutely he should be doing that. Uh, just frankly, for the publicity's sake of it. I know Zion himself doesn't need the publicity, but I do know that the New Orleans Pelicans certainly could use it. And the buzz in that building two Fridays ago, uh, before the earthquake and after the earthquake, I, I suppose, was absolutely nuts. I've never seen anything like it where people are cheering just like the whole building is standing in the layup lines uh when zion dunks and then if he goes up and just takes a normal layup everyone booed him it was great it was awesome for the nba it was awesome for summer league it was awesome for the new orleans pelicans uh was it awesome for zion williamson honestly it doesn't matter it's not like that injury was a big deal if he tore an acl in that game that's a big deal and we'd all be talking about it how pointless summer league is for those lottery talents uh right now but you know you can Tear an ACL in July, you can tear an ACL in October, in, in April. Those things are just kind of freaky. I think the biggest concern about Zion, and this is something that was voiced a little bit by the pundits of the world last week, is that playing shape thing. This has always been like the number one concern, albeit a small concern, with Zion Williamson. Frankly, we've just never seen a player of his build be a successful NBA player. Uh, what is he, six? He's six seven, listed at 285. But I'd jack that up a few bounds. I mean, he's he's hefty. And I think the number one thing when I'm looking at the trajectory of his career 10, 15 years down the road is does he take care of his body in the same way that LeBron James does, uh, which is, by the way, like among the best in the NBA. If he does that, Zion Williamson is going to be a super-duper star. If he doesn't, I absolutely see that he could break down. Yeah, and then we'll be keeping tabs, of course, with training camp and all the things as he gets ready for opening night. Former Duke teammate R.J. Barrett got off to a slow start in summer league, and again, it is summer league. So whether you're you're scorching hot or if you're struggling, not too much to take away for it. You know, most recently, you know, Trey Young didn't have the best of summer leagues last year, and he turned out to be just fine. But uh, his first two games versus his last three games, he was shooting the ball a lot and not necessarily efficiently. What's been the difference here down toward the stretch where he's played much better in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, he was trash in those first two games. And I always said, and anyone who follows the NBA really closely always says, it's just summer league. There's a huge asterisk next to it. You can see players who have amazing summer leagues 
who barely even if if they do make the league, they barely make a dent. And we've seen players like you mentioned, Trey Young, Steph Curry. He had a terrible summer league. It just doesn't matter when it comes down to it. But if you're a New York Knicks fan, you certainly don't want to see those first two games when he is just going out there hunting shots. That's all he was doing those first two games. He just had tunnel vision. And as much as we want to look at like the efficiency, the scoring efficiency, those final three games, how that was way better and how he was actually making shots, the most important statistic to me, uh, those final three games, is actually the assist rate. He, uh, he had, I think he had one assist each of the first two games. There were, you know, these mini viral summer league moments where it's like Kevin Knox wide open at the top of the key and RJ Barrett takes a contested fadeaway too. Just a terrible shot and just making the wrong basketball play. The fact that he averaged more than six assists per game over those final three tells me that he's kind of gotten out of his own head because you could almost see it those first couple games where he's like, I got to get mine. Uh, that's the biggest concern that I've heard some from scouts during the uh, during the NBA draft process was just the fact that he can be a volume scorer and he can just really have tunnel vision looking at the rim. Uh, the fact that we didn't see that the final three games is certainly a good sign. And the huge asterisk next to it is none of this matters at all. We'll see in October what R.J. Barrett actually is as an NBA player. Knicks fans will take what they can get at this point, <laughs> and it was not looking good early on. Before we get to some of your surprises and disappointments, real quickly, like, how has Summer League evolved over the last few years? Because I remember the first time there was, like, real buzz. was, like, Lonzo, obviously, for different reasons. But when I was in local, we used to never run Summer League highlights unless it was a local Fresno State guy back when I was in California. And then Lonzo kind of started this thing. And now we kind of look at these guys. It's no longer – I mean, we pay attention to roster spots and guys making teams. But, boy, there's been a really big emphasis on the rookies and what they can do. For instance, with Zion, when he doesn't play, we're all disappointed a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, slight correction to you. It actually wasn't Lonzo. It was LeVar that created that buzz. You know, it's all about the circus. Uh, I mean, Summer League, there's there's definitely a little bit of a circus element to it now. Uh, I have I mean, it was like that, Lonzo's first game in Summer League, where all these Lakers fans drove in from L.A. and just going nuts about Lonzo. But seeing that Friday night with Zion there just underscored just an, what an incredible job. This crazy idea by Warren Legary years ago has turned into uh, the hardest of hardcore NBA fans use it as an excuse to go and lose money in Vegas. Let's be honest. This isn't about basketball. Yeah, I guess it's about seeing these kids that uh, that you may not have a chance to see uh, before they make the NBA. Getting a little feel of kind of how the lottery picks, the first rounders will turn out. And then also the guys who kind of come out of nowhere. Guys like Iggy Brezdakis, There's tons of buzz around him after he way outplayed his uh, Knicks teammate, R.J. Barrett, in that first game of Summer League. Uh, but, yeah, it is, it's a pretty cool moment because that's the city that puts on a spectacle better than any city in America. And that's kind of what Summer League has turned into, this big exhibition spectacle where, you know, that first Friday night, you could go on StubHub, you go on SeatGeek, your tickets would cost you about $500 if you wanted good seats to see Zion Williamson first time in an NBA uniform. All right, so now that you've left Sin City, Reed, who stands out to you the most in terms of a surprise player from Summer League? Yeah, I mean, look, we go there to look for the lottery picks, and uh, I was there. I was like, can't wait to see Zion. Can't wait to see Jackson Hayes for the Pelicans. But frankly, it was Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who at least in his first three games outshined all the Pelicans. That was a guy who was picked up uh, in that trade with the Atlanta Hawks when the Pelicans traded that fourth pick and got uh, I believe number eight and number 17. He was a 17th pick overall. A guy who was considered a 
fringe lottery talent. Uh, but this is a guy I've seen a lot of in the youth circuit, and he's just kind of a quiet, do-it-all player. Uh, I think he averaged about 24, 24 and a half points over four games. Uh, he's a great defender, as you can see right there. Really has great hands on the defensive end, great instincts. He's not going to be a star in the NBA, but when you look at a team that's being built around Zion Williamson, what you want are guys who can make shots. And I know Nikhil Alexander-Walker didn't do that in his last game of Summer League, but he did it in the first three games. He can make shots, and uh, he's just a smart, instinctual basketball player. That was a really great pick by the Pelicans. So the Pelicans are now sort of this rebuild mode. They've got all these picks because Anthony Davis got traded away to the Lakers. And speaking of AD and the Lakers, he's out there saying he would take their roster 1 through 14 and put it up with anybody else in the association. How much are you buying that, Reed? I'm not anybody, but I mean, what's he supposed to say? Um, what I do, the, the truth that I think, uh, Anthony Davis is getting to is that this team filled out a roster despite losing out on Kawhi Leonard. And at that point, a lot of the free agents that we thought could go there disappeared. And Rob Palenka filled out that roster really well in a really short period of time. Is this the best roster in the NBA? I don't think so, but I certainly think it's a top five roster. And I certainly think this is a championship-capable roster. Uh, you look at a guy like Danny Green, I'm not sure if there can be a more perfect fit next to LeBron James, as long as he's healthy, as long as his age hasn't caught up with Like, the perfect 3-and-D player. You look at someone like Rondo, he's a coach on the floor. That's I know Rondo has his limitations, namely making shots, but uh, he's such a smart player, and he'll be a great uh, just a, a addition to the locker room. And someone like Avery Bradley... He hasn't been uh, great over the past couple years, but if you remember, the best version of him was a guy who could make shots and a guy who was an all-defense team, uh, I believe, two years. So the way this team has filled out, I'm sure it's not the ideal vision that Lakers fans thought they were going to get when they got Anthony Davis, uh, but pickups like those guys, pickups like Jared Dudley, a great locker room guy, a versatile player, a guy like Boogie Cousins, a guy who's just ha- still has loads of potential. I know he's not the player he used to be, but we saw that he can still make an impact during those NBA finals where, frankly, he won one game for the Golden State Warriors. So I think this roster is pretty darn good, and I absolutely think, despite the moment that Kawhi Leonard uh, signed with the Clippers, it was like, oh, crap, Lakers are in trouble. They've missed out on everyone. Rob Palenka has done, you got to tip your cap to him, he's done an incredible job. And you, I think, have them third in your power rankings right now. They're right around second or third in terms of the betting favorites. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. And, of course, AD will not get to wear 23, a bit of a scheduling snafu. Nike, come on. What are you doing, man? you got to make that man, thing happen, right? All right, AD's <laughs> going to be wearing three. Reed, appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. 
This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. All right, everybody, back to on Canel and Bell here on CBS Sports HQ, and there's a conversation. We'll try to get our guy Kyle Porter here uh, back to basketball for a little bit. Lakers and Clippers. Uh, we're talking about two teams that obviously made a, a big deal and a big splash in free agency with Los Angeles getting LeBron James to get Anthony Davis to come out and be a part of that. Now they created a, a max slot of $32 million to try to get a guy like Kawhi Leonard from Toronto. But in the end, Kawhi Leonard didn't want to join a, a three superstar team, decided he wanted to go with the dynamic duo slash tandem route and got Paul George to come with him. And right now the Clippers are the betting favorite, but the Lakers are right there with them. So look at this, the battle for L.A., battle for Staples Center. You're talking about here the projected uh, starting lineups right there. Obviously you see Jamel McGee at the five, but Boogie Cousins is on board with A.D. Kuz. Danny Green, who got a lot of money, like two for 30 to go with LeBron James. And then on the right, it'll be interesting, Kawhi, Paul George, Zubach might be the difference. And, and last year... You know, the Clippers were able to kind of tend to fleece the Lakers a little bit. All right. We got our guy, Kyle Porter, host of the First Cut podcast. And he joins us here on Canel and Bell to talk a little bit about the Open Championship. I had Kyle earlier on in CBS Sports HQ. I like this format a little bit more, much like the pod. We can talk uh, a little bit longer for some of the things that we want to discuss. And so, look, a lot of times, Kyle, on HQ, I'll ask you a course and how you know, which golfers can take advantage, but we're going to kind of flip this a little bit, right? So what we know about Portrush, like which golfers might, you know, really struggle here this week? Well, you know, yeah, that's interesting. It's going to be guys that don't deal well with with the wind and and the weather, you know, and that depends. Like maybe it doesn't blow at all. Maybe we get, you know, you see the Scottish Open last week and you got to, you got to go 24 under, you got to go 22 under to even have a shot at, at winning that tournament. Maybe we see something like that at Portrush. But this course is interesting because I think it's going to play a little bit longer than we see some of the Open Championship courses. So you might see some guys that are – I don't. I guess what I'm saying is I don't think you're going to see a Tom Watson at the age of 59 at Turnberry in 2009 contending at a Portrush. It's a 7,300-yard course, uh, and it's just – it's a little brawnier than like a, a St. Andrews or, or somewhere like that. But – yeah, I mean, if you can't deal with the weather, if you're not, if you don't have a, at least a little bit of distance, uh, maybe compared to other opens off the tee, then you're going to have a hard time. And I think, you know, Tommy, it's why somebody like a, a John Rahm, who seemingly can play anywhere, has kind of struggled at open championships. He's a high ball hitter. You get the ball way up in the wind and, and you're not able to fight it low. You're going to struggle if, if the wind blows and, and if the weather uh, kind of comes in uh, off the off the Atlantic. And John Rahm coming off the Irish Championship, a two-time winner there. He's he's one of the betting favorites, and another one is Tiger Woods, although the majors we've seen him either as the betting favorite or in the top three, still in the top five. So when we look at Tiger, I know he posted the video that he was trying to adjust to the body clock and all that. So I don't know why he didn't go over there and just kind of do that, Kyle, but what do you think about Tiger, who has not played uh, since the U.S. Open out at Pebble about a month ago? Yeah, I've gone back and forth on Tiger. I think he's a genius when it comes to Lynx golf. And I think you see that last year, even at Carnoustie. He didn't have his stuff last year. I mean, he was kind of, he was kind of getting there like halfway through the year, but he didn't have his real like best stuff. He's hitting irons off the tee. He's kind of like, 
just moseying around. And then all of a sudden on Sunday, you're like, wait, this guy's leading? Like, how, how did this happen? And I think he is, I don't know if there's anybody more brilliant in the game today at playing this style of golf. And so I'm not as worried, Tommy, about the layoff uh, going into this tournament as I was going into Beth Page and the PGA. That was kind of, that, that's a, it's a different course too, right? Like there was like four guys that could have won the PGA championship and one of them, Brooks Kepka ended up winning it. I think there's so many more guys that are in an open like this and, and Tiger's certainly one of them. And I, I, I don't think the rust is going to be as big of an issue as it was at, at the PGA and, and even at Pebble. So a lot of eyes will be on Tiger Woods. A lot of eyes will be on Rory McIlroy, who's in Northern Ireland. He's going to have the home sort of, you know, advantage there. The, the country will certainly be behind him. What chance does he have? We talked about how statistically on tour he's, he's done very well. It just hasn't really translated into actual wins. How do you evaluate Rory heading into this week? Well, he's got to play well the first couple of rounds. You know, that's how he's won all his majors. That's how he won the players this year. He, he's either leading or like, one back after two rounds. He, he in the in past majors, you know, I was looking at it, Tommy, last 10 years, nobody has more top 10s than Rory at majors. That's 40 majors. He's got 19 top 10s. But the reality of it is he's only had like four or five or maybe six like real chances at, at winning on a Sunday. A lot of those he's been like seven back or five back or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, maybe, but it's probably not going to happen. And so he... He just has to play really well over the first two rounds. And look, like, I mean, everybody's going to talk about the Northern Ireland thing and, like, oh, the crowd's going to be behind him. Whatever. Like, he's the best player in the world this year. And so if he continues to play his game, you know, it's going to come down to did the putts fall or did they not fall? That's what it always comes down to with somebody like him. And uh, it would be a pretty cool story, though, for him to win at Portrush where he set the course record when he was 16 years old of the 61. Yeah, so he's got some experience, and, and the course has certainly um, undergone some changes there to make it a little bit harder for the guys this week. Again, we talk about Tiger. We talk about Rory McIlroy. Then there's Brooks Kepko, who's the closest thing to Novak Djokovic right now in terms of winning <laughs> titles. I think Novak now has a, has a bit of a say in terms of best in the world. But, um, look, we know that he's been very good in the majors and the tour. Maybe uh, he, he takes his gas, uh, pedal off the gas a little bit right now. Um, but the year for him, what's ahead for him here at this particular tournament, what are some of the things that you'll be looking out for? I love that comp, by the way. I, I think there's a contingent of people that don't like Djokovic. Same thing with Kepka. They're like, do we do we actually like this guy? But like Djokovic, he's he's been unbelievable. And you know, I, I think that we always do the thing with him at the PGA and at the U.S. Open because that's where he's won his four majors. He's been really good at the Open Championship as well. He's got a couple top tens in his last. Uh, three starts there. I think two out of the last three, he's finished in the top 10. And, uh, you know, I, I think, again, he's somebody who he hits it forever, but he also hits it really high. And so I, I'm looking at, like, are you able to shape shape some shots if the wind comes in, if it's raining, if it gets a little nasty? I think he's able to, but it's a, it's a different ball game than when you're playing at a pebble, uh, than when you're playing definitely at, like, a Bell Reeve or even an Augusta or somewhere like that. So... Uh, I'm fascinated by him. Look, only only 13 guys have won more than five majors. If if Brooks wins this week, if Rory wins this week, they get to five, and then all of a sudden you have to start talking about them as like, can they crack this? You know, this club of 13 that's won more than five. And, and so I think that 
you know, that's a rarefied air. That's a special thing, and it would be pretty cool to see either one of them get to five this week at Port Rush. All right, we spent a lot of time talking about the big dogs coming to this tournament. What about some underdogs or some value plays if we take a look at some golfers that you think have a shot here, uh, maybe more than just a puncher's chance to get this tournament and, and really get some good hardware? Yeah, there, there's there's a couple. You know, I, I've mentioned I brought up Matt Kuchar a lot. He's having the best season of his career, and, and he's played well at Opens in the past. He got a couple top tens in his last five Opens. Could have won in 17 when Spieth took it at the end with that unbelievable finish. Uh, he played really well early at the Scottish Open, so he, there's a lot of things converging there with Kuchar. I, I love him this week, whether it's 30 to one, 40 to one. I've seen you know 45 to one, something like that. I think that's a good play. Rafa Cabrera Bayo is another name that, that keeps kind of popping up in my head. He finished fourth, uh, I think it was two years ago, he finished fourth at the Open Championship. He's somebody who, um, he, he's so good. His, his tee to green play is so good. And so sort of like a, you know, he's obviously not as good as a Rory, but sort of like that. If some of the putts start falling, you're like, wow, this guy could, you know, he could, he could contend and he could, he could have staying power throughout the tournament. So whatever number he's at, I think it's 80 to 1, 75 to 1, 90 to 1, somewhere around there. I, 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 for kind of a deeper sleeper, I really like him this week. Kyle, let's in with Phil Mickelson, who his social media game has outplayed his real game. And, and I know that that's <laughs> an easy, low-hanging fruit joke for me to make. But look, he apparently lost a lot of weight, 15 pounds in a six-day fast. Uh, what do you yeah, make of this whole thing with, with, with Lefty here? Yeah, there's a lot going on. He said he did a water and coffee fast, which is sounds crazy and not something that I necessarily want to get into. But I think the thing with Phil, I think he doesn't get enough credit for how, like, look, Phil's made all the money, right? He's won all the tournaments except for the U.S. Open, but he's won everything else. It doesn't. None of this stuff like matters anymore. He's done everything. Same thing with Tiger. Same thing with a lot of these guys. Rory, even Spieth at a young age, they've done everything. Phil still loves it. Like he still is obsessed with the competition. He still is obsessed with with readying himself, prepping himself uh, for majors like this, for big tournaments. I, I think that stuff is so interesting because he's 49 years old and he, he doesn't he doesn't have to work. You know, three generations after him don't have to work a day in their lives, and so he certainly doesn't. But he's still grinding. He's still locked in. I I think it's fascinating, but he doesn't have. A top 10 at a major since the 2016 Open Championship when him and Stinson dueled at, at Royal Troon. So uh, we'll see if he can get it back. It's just at that age when it goes, it goes quickly. And uh, it usually you're as the player, you're kind of the last one to know. So I'm not super confident about his chances, but I love watching somebody like that still compete, still get after it at that age when, you know, he, he, he certainly doesn't have to be in that position. And now that he's sharing on social media, we enjoy what he posts. By the way, if he does do well, maybe a top ten or something, whatever a special coffee blend for wellness is, we're going to have to ask him and poke and prod and figure out uh, exactly what that is. Kyle, certainly appreciate it, man. Thanks. Welcome back to Canel and Bell again. DK and Raja on vacation, some well-deserved time off. It's been a great Monday so far starting the week, and now – we're going to take it home. Jamie Eisenberg, Fantasy Sensei, award-winning analyst here at CBSSports.com and HQ. Uh, Jamie, we got a lot I to stuck about. Yeah. I know. Well, look, it's going to come back. You know, we're going to get ready for the football season, which, what, eight more Sundays? Well, no, take it back. Seven more Sundays, something like that? I don't that. know. I'm not close. Kidding. Football's Tra- close. Training camp opens this week. It's That's coming. all we got to worry about. We've got that coming up and, and, and all things with fantasy football today. Really excited about what's ahead for us. But before we do that, 
Um, so there's the notion about this latest sort of collective bargaining agreement type thing with the 18-game season, which is not necessarily new, but one sort of caveat was that it would be a, a player max of 16 games. Now, from a fantasy perspective, how do you think that would land on what, how you, Dave, Heath, Adam, all the guys like would, would sort of evaluate players here? It would be a disaster from a scheduling standpoint unless you knew which two games they were going to miss well in advance. Because imagine you get to your Sunday and you're typically monitoring injuries. You know, obviously there are certain circumstances where a player is going to miss time, you know, for whatever reason. But, you know, injuries is typically the, the one thing that you're worried about on, on a given week. But if they don't have some way of designating when that player is going to sit, because the rule would be that they're only playing 16 of the 18 games, as, as you alluded to, um, you'd have to be, you could have the situation of maybe four of your starters are sitting that week, three of your starters, five of your starters. You know, it could be a very dicey situation. So it could force fantasy managers to have to, or, or commissioners to have to expand rosters at the beginning of the season. You know, so instead of typically we do like 15 or 16 team, uh, 15 or 16 man rosters, uh, you, you may have to expand that draft to 20. And, you know, so the idea would be you have to, Make sure you have guys just in case that that scenario unfolds. It, it, it could just be a real nightmare for for a, for a fantasy football. And it's really early, right? So obviously, if it was just eighteen games right. straight, it'd be fine, right? Because at least you know. Well, what about the normal? Okay, so what about this? Well, I guess it wouldn't be. I was going to say like if they were to just schedule an extra buy, the teams would have. But then I, I guess that would still be a challenge to try to figure out who's off and who's not. But well, that least, would be scheduled. At least you know if you know in advance. Okay, so it, it essentially would be like a like a buy. From a fantasy perspective, so you know Andrew Luck is sitting week seven. You know, let's just say the—I mean, Everybody's no team's ever going to say that, but you know, the the Colts come out and say Andrew Luck is sitting week seven. Uh, Saquon Barkley is sitting week eight. Mm-hmm. You know, but there, there's probably strategy that's going to go into this. You know, I mean, Matt, Bill Belichick's going <laughs> to stretch this as far as he possibly can. You know, somebody who who bends the rules as possible uh, within the parameters of what the rules are. You know, so he may say, okay. Um, yeah, this is the week Brady's going to say, oh, no, we changed our mind. You know, it'll be week 10 against the Bills. So it's just one of those situations that could just be really frustrating. All right, uh, moving on now, let's talk about Melvin Gordon. Everybody that I have asked, and it hasn't been that many, but we've had a couple on HQ when, it, when this news kind of came out late last week, was sort of Team Gordon in terms of the, the stance of him potentially holding out here. Uh, where do you sit on the Melvin Gordon situation? I mean, look, you know, we we – you always want to see players get what they deserve, you know, and, and, and he's somebody that's been productive. Uh, he's at a position where, you know, guys aren't getting paid to the same level that they were. Um, I'm always in favor of guys getting what, you know, you know the, the most out of what their possible career earnings can be. Uh, it stinks that it's this time of year, you know, and, and a lot of people, rightfully so, are going to be reminded of the big name last year that went through this, which was Le'Veon Bell, which was all the way through training camp. He's going to show up. He's going to show up. He's going to be fine. Everything's going to work out. And then, as we know, we missed the entire season. So I, I think, you know, you look at Gordon's situation. Hopefully, you know, we get to two weeks from now and he's got his deal. He's ready to go. But there are some things that have been circulating. You know, you see videos of him saying he's not he wasn't upset with what Le'Veon did. He would do the same thing. He, he, he was just at a, a event this past weekend where he says, I want to be paid. Um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, just given the fact that you have the girly situation and what's happening with his knee, you have Ezekiel Elliott, you know, and, and the off field things that have happened to him. Uh, missing time, etc. Uh, obviously, Le'Veon Bell, uh, the fact that he was able to get what he wanted, essentially holding out and, and still getting a, a, a lucrative contract. Um, it's it's a frustrating situation, you know. And he's a guy that's got injury track record, you know, missed uh, several games over the last few years with knee problems. So it's understandable what he's trying to do. You know, you just wish that this wasn't happening 
at the onset of camp, you know, because now is when a lot of drafts happen. I've done several drafts, magazine related for, you know, other publications that were playing out. Um, the Scott Fish Bowl, for example, is a, a big fantasy league in the industry. Uh, I have Melvin Gordon in a few of those and it's, it's frustrating. You know, on, on the flip side of that, when you do early fantasy drafts, this is the negative when stuff like this happens. The positive is you drafted Austin Eckler or in some cases Justin Jackson mm-hmm. in very late rounds. And if you have a stacked team and he ends up, one of those guys ends up being the starter or they're splitting time and taking those 250 plus touches that Melvin Gordon's going to leave on the table if he doesn't play it at any point this season. That's how you win a lot of fantasy. This happened last year with James Conner. Yeah, I got snake bit last year in our league. I took uh, Le'Veon and then ended up not playing at all. Did get uh, Samuels toward the end in sort of a one-off thing. But you mentioned sort of you've already done some drafts and when you project. So, like, you know, the girly thing is, is injury-related. Gordon's obviously, if it's a contract situation, how do you value his ADP, his average draft position? Like, right now, if all was like best case scenario, where would he be? And potentially where would you say, man, maybe hold off in drafting him in this? Gordon? Correct. I, I you know, it, it's going to be a sliding scale. You know, it, it, it's, it's one of those things. Again, it goes back to, you know, what the best value is based on the time standpoint. So right now he's somebody I'm projecting in round two. Um, you know, this goes from he was fifth, fifth overall. You know, he was the fifth running back. There's a top four. I don't think anybody could argue there's a top four. You know, Barkley, Elliott, Kamara, McCaffrey, however you want to put them in that order, those are going to be the first four picks unless one of them gets hurt in camp. Gordon was really or really had solidified himself as the fifth guy. You know, you look at it, James Conner, David Johnson, Joe Mixon, Gurley still, Le'Veon Bell, those guys are, are, are fighting for that number five spot. Uh, in a lot of people's minds. And then the receivers, that's where they come into play also, fifth. But uh, if Gordon is signed early in camp, or I'd say before the third preseason game, I think he could push himself back up to that five spot. He'll certainly push himself back into the first round. But if this thing lingers into, you know, late camp and, and we still don't have a deal, it's going to continue to fall. You know, so right now, round two, I think if we get two weeks into camp, you're going to see him round three, round four, because people are just going to be afraid of this whole Le'Veon Bell situation. Whenever we have history of something, you follow suit, and he's talking about Le'Veon Bell's situation, so you know it's on his mind. What are your big thoughts just about the running back position? You know, it used to be not too long ago in a fantasy draft, you have a lot more running backs, bell cows, guys that you could lean on. Now you mentioned a top five, then it kind of, you know, then you start getting wide receivers in the mix of earlier rounds. Of course, you know, they, they've been devalued in terms of money as well as we're taking a look at lowest paid positions. I mean, you're talking about long snapper, fullback, and then running back. And then sandwiched out there after his punter, tight end, and kicker. I mean, that's not necessarily quarterbacks and wide receivers and pass rushers on this list. Yeah, and Robbie Gold helped push that number up a little bit today <laughs> with his uh, franchise. Like, by the way, I have three uh, three young boys, seven and under. I'm teaching them all to be long snappers because if that's what they can make, right? and it's a very safe position for the most part, uh, if they want to play in the NFL, learn how to snap. Um, I, I think, you know, with, with the running back position, fantasy-wise, it's still the most prominent spot. So, uh, like I said, there's those four guys at the top um, with – I, I don't think anything is going to push them down, barring injury. You know, there, there are going to be some leagues, you know, two quarterback leagues. Patrick Mahomes may creep him, his way into there just because of what he did a year ago. But it, it's really the, the position is what it is in terms of the value to fantasy. In the NFL, it's totally different, you know, just because, you, you know, you're seeing teams use multiple backs. Uh, the Patriots, for example, I was having a conversation uh, with a former NFL general manager uh, early or late last week. And he was saying the Patriots have the deepest – the run, running back position for the Patriots is the deep position of any spot in the NFL. That makes sense. So the guys that they have, because they're just going to take multiple guys and use them. And, and, you know, for a team that wins the Super Bowl, and we know this is a copycat league, 
everybody's going to follow suit. So the the Rams, the team that lost the Super Bowl, what they do? They brought back a guy in Malcolm Brown. They went out and drafted a guy in Daryl Henderson. Now it's a little case specific because of Todd Gurley's knee situation, but teams are going to continue to do that. You know, we lose a bell cow because if Gurley doesn't get 20 plus touches a week, mm-hmm. it's not the same guy. You know, so we'll see how the Giants use Barkley. We'll see if the Cowboys follow a similar path to what they did with DeMarco Murray, which is use and abuse Ezekiel Elliott until he's done and they may not pay him. You know, so we may see those scenarios continue to play itself out. Whereas it used to be like, like we saw, you know, like you were alluding to, uh, guys were getting 20 plus carries on a week to week basis. It's just not the same NFL anymore. Yeah. It certainly has changed. Uh, maybe some of it has to also do with the, the video game culture. When you're playing Madden, you don't, you don't worry about running as much. Right. You just want to sling it around. And, and speaking of Madden right now, there is a 99. There, there, there's a few of them that get uh, awarded to players. And I know we joke about, you know, players reacting to their Madden score, whether they're really valued the way they are. I don't know if you can really argue, um, DeAndre Hopkins at 99, if not even giving him a, a hundred, the dude has been uh, electric right now. Uh, where is he at with you? If like, is he a 99 worth the, the, the value rating that Madden gives him? He, uh, absolutely. You know, I mean, you talk about what he has been able to do. There's been one thing, you know, if you want to uh, make a, a Superman reference, his kryptonite has been Brock Osweiler. You know, the <laughs> one time that he failed in the NFL so far this year has been when Osweiler was his quarterback. So, uh, with Deshaun Watson over the last two plus seasons, you know, you've seen the numbers pop. Uh, whenever somebody sets a record for most attempts without a drop, you know, that's, that's something you look at. Uh, as you see here, 27 years old, he's entering his prime in terms of what his athletic ability can be. It's going to be an interesting season for him, though, if his teammates stay healthy because you have Will Fuller coming off the ACL. He's been a great Robin to his Batman. Uh, but also Kiki QT, you know, young receiver that they had last year, had a hard time staying healthy, hamstring injuries. Can he still be the same dominant guy, 163 targets? Can he still be over 160 targets, over 150 targets? You know, Watson uh, is going to, I think, spread the ball around a little bit more. You also have the hope that the Texans can run the ball a little bit better. That's not necessarily something that I would necessarily say is a huge downgrade to Hopkins because, you know, if they do run the ball better, maybe open some things up in terms of what his coverage could be. But he's just such a star. Now, he's my second favorite receiver for fantasy this year. I do think Devontae Adams has a little bit of a higher ceiling, and Adams actually would have been ahead of him in fantasy points by the end of the season, but Adams missed Week 17. Hopkins played in that game. Uh, points per game, Adams was better. And I just look at what Aaron Rodgers' number one guy has been over the course of his track record. You know, you go from guys like Randall Cobb, Jordy Nelson, um, and, and Adams last year. I, I think Adams gets a slight nod, but it's, you know, we're, we're nitpicking. It's one and two, uh, I think, in a lot of people's minds. Uh, Hopkins is, is certainly well-deserving of that 99 spot, 99 rating. And, uh, you know, again, he's going to be the first receiver drafted in a lot of leagues. Yeah, his ADP, no matter what I think or right. say, his ADP is going to be one in terms of the receiver spot. Yeah, and we saw right there in terms of the 99, all defensive guys, Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack, Wagner again, DeAndre Hopkins, they're the only offensive player. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. Tommy Tran, Jamie Eisenberg here taking you through to the top of the hour for HQ. One quick update here. Tiger Woods' odds have dropped ever so slightly in terms of winning the Open Championship. He was at 18 to 1. I'm being told now it's 20 to 1. Xander Shoffley, Justin Rose also have the same betting odds. So again, Rory McElroy, Brooks Kepka, those guys are, are going to be a little bit ahead of Tiger, but Tiger's still T5 in terms of uh, betting favorites out there. So just uh, information for you guys. I'm sure they'll talk about it on Sportsline later tonight as well. Jamie, so we're going to get to Kyler Murray, but we want to finish up this this thing about Madden. He's rated 73. Dwayne Haskins is a 72. Um, you have a kind of a cool story about how players really, some of them really embrace the Madden thing like to a T, man. Yeah, I was at the the Pro Bowl um, this past, uh, I guess, the end of January. 
And Saquon Barkley was asked by one of the Madden employees, uh, EA Sports employees, what he thought of his Madden rating, you know, and what he would do to improve it. And, you know, he, he knows it to a T. You know, he knew what all of his numbers were. Uh, specifically though, he was, he was a little upset about his speed. You know, he said, you guys need to make me a little bit faster. I don't know if they adjusted it or not. I don't really follow all the Madden ratings, you know, exactly. I play a little bit, but, um, it, it was, it was fun to see Barkley, you know, get so like, adamant about what his speed was you know he he was legitimately upset he says he plays with his brother all the time he was telling a story about how his brother thinks he could beat him um these guys get into it you know and and, and certainly it's uh it, it it's a fun way to, to to follow the nfl as well there's a fun video of the rookies kind of it's like a reveal like they mm-hmm. find out what their rating is and you kind of get a candid uh response of how they're doing uh, it's funny because our guy casey kiernan and ryan wilson did a segment for hq when the news came out for the ratings and and it's interesting because Kyler Murray's first, Dwayne Haskins, I mentioned second. So you're talking about 73, 72. Then it's Drew Locke, Will Gear, Tyree Jackson from 67 to 64. And then number six Daniel is Jones. Daniel Jones yeah. at 63. Right. I mean, drafted way higher, obviously, and in Jackson's case, not even drafted at all. Unless Dave Gettleman was doing the ratings, you know, you can imagine why he went uh, as, as far down as he did. You know, but it's funny though because there, there's probably a better chance that Daniel Jones plays ahead of most of those guys. Right. Um, bending back to Murray, what are your expectations? Because we talk about rookie quarterbacks and, and why they're not maybe draftable or not really high on your guys' list, but Kyler certainly has bucked that trend a little bit. Why? I look for upside at that position more so than any other spot, you know, and it's the, the biggest reason is because if you swing and miss, there are so many options that you could fall back on. And, and we're going to see guys. That, you know, if, if, if you want to talk about, you know, to tie in our earlier conversation, highest paid guys, if you're going to tie in highest paid guys, you can get probably off waivers this year in most one quarterback leagues, Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford, Derek Carr, uh, then there's still going to be guys that you can get with late round picks, guys like maybe Josh Allen, uh, Lamar Jackson, depending on how people sort of in your league favor or don't like him, uh, because of what we've seen last year from his ability to throw or, or lack thereof. Um, there's just so many guys, Kirk Cousins, those guys, you know, you can, you can fall back on, on these quarterback options that can still help you win your league. But if Kyler Murray hits to the level that he showed us at Oklahoma or to what Cliff Kingsbury's offense could be, you know, we're talking about a guy that threw for 4,000 yards and ran for 1,000 yards. There's only been one other guy in college football history that's done that. That's Deshaun Watson. Now, I don't want to put that on him. A lot of people have said he could be the next Mahomes. That's obviously a, a huge leap. Mm-hmm. But I do think he could be a guy that can throw for 3,500 yards. I think he could run for six or 700 yards. I think he could be 30 total touchdowns. The question will be, can he stay healthy? Because obviously his size. And what will the turnovers be? Um, but I just look at it when I start to get to the, the 10th spot in my rankings. And, and I'll give you some names that I have him higher than. One is Drew Brees. I just think Brees is starting to hit that point of, of a decline. Uh, the other is Russell Wilson, and, and those two guys kind of go hand in hand. I also like him better than Ben Roethlisberger and Phillip Rivers. But Breeze and, and Wilson have a little bit higher average draft position right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Wilson was so good last year, but they don't throw the ball very much. The numbers you know, tell us that Seattle was among the league leaders in rushing attempts. He was just very efficient, losing Doug Baldwin I don't think helps him. And Breeze last year, first time under 4,000 yards passing. He just threw for 30-plus touchdowns, ran for four touchdowns. I don't think that's replicable if his attempts are going to be down like they were last year. But I just look at Kyler Murray's ceiling. I think it's very high and I don't mind taking him. I will pair him with another guy. You can get Tom Brady late these days. You know, it's just because sure. you know, his, his numbers are fading. But there, there's just so much to like about what Kyler Murray brings to the table. So when fantasy owners will be in their perspective, uh, respective drafts, they'll see Mahomes get taken early, mm-hmm. maybe Rodgers, Luck. Um, what's a good area to get 
Uh, Kyler Murray, if you can, five to eight, something like that. If, if your league follows what the, the trend has been, which is what analysts, not just us at CBS, I mean, everybody preaches this, you wait on quarterbacks, you know, so if, and we're starting to see that more and more in, in what I would say average drafts, you know, regular leagues. Um, I think you, you sort of, that round seven, round eight range is where you start to, you know, put the antenna up. Uh, but anything close to double digit rounds will be great. You know, there, there's just a handful of quarterbacks that again have a, a high ceiling. Uh, Murray is one. Carson Wentz, you know, as long as he's healthy, his numbers have been fantastic. And Jameis Winston now, you know, you look at last year what the Bucks quarterbacks were able to do. They do change systems clearly. Todd Mockin and, uh, uh, Dirk Cutter are gone. Uh, but Bruce Arians coming in, you know, his numbers for quarterbacks have been very good traditionally. Ben Roethlisberger, Andrew Luck, Carson Palmer have been very good fantasy quarterbacks in Arians' system. Uh, I think Jameis Winston will thrive in that as well. Those are all guys that you can get close to double-digit rounds. And then, of course, you can just wait if you want to take Roethlisberger still, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, those type of guys. It's just such a deep position that you don't have to reach for a quarterback. But similar to the running backs, there's a top four. It's Mahomes, Luck, Rodgers, and Deshaun Watson. Those four guys, I think, are going to be the first quarterbacks drafted. Baker will be the sort of the swing guy you know he may push himself into that top four because everybody's excited about the browns Uh, i would put him fifth though all right so we talked about kyler murray one of the the rising rookies here in the prospects here and we also are finishing up uh to end this with your other notable rookies so josh jacobs silver and black and breathe a sigh of relief the the talk that perhaps that he was going to hold out obviously that didn't happen they they were able to kind of get something done uh, other notables here. What stands out to you about the, the decision process to put some of these guys on the board? Well, I, I think the, the first two running backs in Jacobs and David Montgomery have the chance to be really good fantasy options right away. You know, Montgomery's got a little bit more uh, competition, you know, with Tariq Cohen and, and Mike Davis, you know, two guys on the Bears roster. But if Montgomery plays like he's capable of, he has a chance to be really special. Uh, Jacobs, like you said, you know, silver and black can, can, can breathe a little sigh of relief. He should be the guy there. I don't worry about Doug Martin. Maybe a little bit Jalen Richard in the passing game, but I think Jacobs has the chops to be a three-down guy. Sanders is, is clearly, you know, uh, as talented as the other two. It's just opportunity. You know, Jordan Howard is going to take away some touches. You know, we'll see what they do in terms of a third down back, whether it's going to be Corey Clement or Wendell Smallwood, you know, using one of those two guys. Clement makes more sense. Um, but all three guys are in good systems. You know, at least they should be. Uh, should have the chance to be really good fantasy options. I, I do think you give a slight nod, though, to Jacobs being first. Montgomery not too far off at, at the second spot, and then Sanders is a little bit further down. All right, we've got about a minute left to go. Jamie, what do you guys got cooking FFT? Obviously, you know, we're running it back soon for, for another season. What's uh, some of the things you guys are talking about in the pod right now? FFT starts on CBS Sports HQ uh, Monday, July 22nd. We're doing our podcast. It's only three days a week right now, but it's going to be ramping up to five days a week very soon. So it's time. You know, this is the the fantasy season is here. You know, when the start of training camp hits, this is when you should start doing your homework. Uh, our draft prep page is amazing. You know, check it out at cbsports.com and, you know, we'll do what we can to help you win your leagues once again. That's, uh, that's what our job is, you know, to make sure that our, our, our listeners, viewers, uh, our readers are all very successful in their fantasy leagues. Dude. More so than us. They can beat us all they want. Yeah, but you guys are stars, man. Uh, we try. Stars of HQ. Like, I mean, you got drafted. Someone wrote Jamie Eisenberg and actually, and won yes. the league? And, uh, I don't know if they, I mean, maybe they did win I the league. Yeah, I think they, they did. did. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, uh, that's a good omen. Yeah. yeah no, it's good. Best of the biz. <laughs> Jamie, certainly appreciate the time. Uh, hopefully we'll have you on more as well, of course, with uh, with Danny and Raja. That'll do it for us here on Canel and Bell. Coming up, a fresh hour of CBS Sports HQ. I'm going to put on a tie. I'm going to go run on the <laughs> set. And uh, we'll talk about uh, Summer League. I think we're talking about the Packers today, right? And we're talking about the tech Packers there covering all the NFL teams, 32. How many are we done with? I don't know. Right. <laughs> we'll continue that. We'll see you later, everybody.